This is the Matt Report Podcast, a podcast for WordPress professionals, agencies, freelancers, consultants, users, community members. If you're interested in learning about the business side of WordPress, this is the place to be. If you're interested to have discussions, deep-rooted conversations about the community, where WordPress is going, and the business behind it all, it's mattreport.com. Mattreport.com slash subscribe is the number one way to stay connected. You're listening to Season 5. This portion of the Matt Report is sponsored by Beaver Builder. When you need a page builder that works effortlessly with your WordPress projects, doesn't get in the way of your team, and is a joy to use, you need Beaver Builder. Their team of passionate developers and designers have worked tirelessly to create a builder plugin that gives your WordPress website a big, comfy hug, not leaving it out in the cold. With an all-new version, including their 2.0 build plus themer capabilities just around the corner, Beaver Builder is leading the pack of page builder plugins in the WordPress space. So whether or not you need to just build a simple landing page or drag and drop the entire layout of your next marketing website project, Beaver Builder is the plugin for you. Check out their website, wpbeaverbuilder.com. That's WP, like WordPress, beaverbuilder.com. Season 5, episode Number three with Chris Wallace from Lyft UX. Here's a guy who runs an agency just like myself. It's a hybrid agency. Uh, it's something that somebody that focuses on client services and, and some really high-end service uh, client services, by the way. Uh, but focuses on the client services side, has products, uh, used to sell WordPress themes, got out of that business, has a sort of hosted WordPress flavor platform for the faith market. Uh, and also has a hosted job board, right, where he's really focused on the sustainability of uh, today's modern freelancer and where that might all might go in the future. Um, because it, it is it's not even a might, like this is the future, right? This is how you and I both uh, operate in today's world. I think it's crazy. Uh, some of the folks who still, you know, commute an hour and a half, two hours a day at, for a desk job where 98% of their time is spent uh, emailing things back and forth uh, and typing things into a computer, yet they still have to drive all that time. Um, blows my mind that companies still invest in that. So really hope you enjoyed this episode. It's a great one. As always, season five of the Matt Report. You can subscribe over at mattreport.com slash subscribe. Love a five-star review if you get a chance. Let's get into the, into today's episode. Hey, WordPress fans. This portion of the Matt Report is sponsored by Liquid Web. It's not if, but when you need improved performance, maximized uptime, and incredible support. Liquid Web is the partner you turn to. It's no secret that Liquid Web has been known as a web hosting company with a ton of plans to choose from, but they've also engineered a new managed WordPress offering perfect for mission-critical websites. And here's two bonuses. Number one, every managed WordPress customer includes iThemes Sync integration, perfect for freelancers and agencies who need single-click WordPress management capabilities. And number two, if you sign up today, Using this discount code, MATREPORT33, you'll get 33% off for the next six months. Visit liquidweb.com slash WordPress to get started. That's liquidweb.com slash WordPress and use the code MATREPORT33 to save 33% for the next six months. Chris, welcome to the program, sir. 
Thank you. Good to be here. Who who are you and what do you do in this fabulous world <laughs> of, Word, of WordPress? Who am I? That is the question. Who am I? Um, so I am Chris Wallace. I am uh, founder, co-founder with uh, Brad Miller at Lyft UX. We are a user experience design and WordPress development agency. Um, we've been around since 2009. Uh, we've worked on a number of uh, notable projects, uh, some of the bigger ones uh, being back when we first started, uh, the Next Web, uh, we redesigned their site. Um, we did AMC StorySync, uh, which is a second screen app uh, initially for The Walking Dead. We did one for Breaking Bad. Uh, all, of, all of that's on WordPress. Um, and we most recently have worked with CampusInsiders.com on a pretty major redesign for their website. Uh, they're kind of like a, an online version of, of kind of like a ESPN, but for college sports. Uh, they stream over 3,000 live sporting events. Uh, we've worked with GoDaddy, a whole, whole, whole slew of um, names that you know. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't know any of those names. I, I, you know, <laughs> n- none of those ring a bell. I, I just don't know any of that stuff. Uh, cool. You and, and, you know, all from sort of custom projects to maybe some more off the shelf stuff that maybe you implement from project to project. And I, and I definitely want to dive into that. Uh, but I want to explore sort of the agency life and dare I say, maybe even boutique agency life. I know Brad's in a mastermind. Uh, we're in a mastermind together, and I've known you for quite some time. But you're not a massive agency, as to say, in the terms of employee count. And sure. I, I really want to unpack that because I feel like a lot of people hear those big brand names like AMC, The Walking Dead, all of these uh, sort of big labels, and they think, "Wow, I mean, I mean, I, I must need a hundred people working for me in order to land those types of projects." Is that not the case uh, for you? And and sort of unpack that sort of theory, if you would, uh, for the listeners. Well, yeah. So I think that I think that there's a bit of a stigma that goes with, um, you know, being being an agency that works with big brands. You just there's this assumption that oh man, they're at least fifty people. Uh, you have to have a, a huge team to be able to do projects that get a lot of visibility, you know, to work in the enterprise space, you know, things like that, where people are just always, um, they, they kind of get that imposter syndrome and they think, oh, well, I'm just one person. What can I, what can I offer to, um, you know, to a bigger company? And I think for us, we, we've always approached it as we have a unique set of skills when it comes to design that not a lot of agencies um, have, even even though we're a small agency, uh, we really bring a lot to the table. And we can also build our team around the the project itself. So uh, in, in the example of uh, the the story sync work that we did, um, you know, we were able to basically build the team around that project specifically uh, to get the right people at the table. And so I think that companies see that value as being just a different approach um, from the typical agency where you get who you hire, right? Like, I mean, obviously you're looking around and you're going to say, well, we like their portfolio or they have a project that's similar that they did. So they have experience in one realm um, and that's why you hire an agency. Well, we don't have to, we don't have to approach it that way every time. Uh, we can actually go out and find the people 
that have a great deal of experience on certain uh, certain types of projects and say, listen, you know, we've got this really interesting project with, um, you know, this company and, you know, we can kind of bring them in and, and assemble a team uh, that, that does really great work. So uh, that is kind of a different approach, but at the same time, I feel like uh, it's a better approach in a lot of ways because you really don't have to staff up, so to speak, uh, just to look big enough for the clients to be interested in in your business. There's a few threads of thought that I want to uh, go after with this one because the, the two other interviews that I uh, did earlier today, we, we sort of talked about from the freelance level, like how do you find somebody to, to maybe outsource at, you know, at a small level, like, uh, boy, I, I'm kind of overloaded this month. How can I offload a, a few hours of work to this person to uh, maybe scaling a, a one to two, three person shop uh, with finding a part-time em- employee. But I want to know, like, what is it or how can somebody take the approach that you take? Because from my understanding, just like like what I do is I put out a lot of, I guess, maybe even feelers or awareness of who I know in the space that I could reach towards. It's it's not like, I guess it's not a really concrete skill set, right? It's sort of being aware right. of people around you who are like, yeah, I, I know that's a, she's a WooCommerce expert and, and he's a, a beaver builder expert and you kind of know that they're available, but do you have a particular uh, recipe for, for keeping this stuff um, you know, structured so that when the time comes and an AMC does come and you need a JavaScript pro, like who do you turn to? Uh, how do you keep that sort of in a process for your own uh, sure. sanity, I yeah, guess? Yeah. <laughs> so for us, I think the the big thing is the relationship network. Um, having a relationship network is extremely critical to your success if you're operating in a model like this. Um, it's, it's always knowing, uh, who has a full-time job or who is a freelancer, or if somebody's recently left a job that, you know, that does a certain thing. I, I mean, it always comes back to knowing people, right. And, and knowing who is the best in a certain area, uh, when the time comes to, to kind of tap them in. Um, and so for us, we, we've kind of always put feelers out, uh, whether that's a, a job listing on, um, you know, on a job board somewhere that's always sort of just there because we always have a need for a specific role, uh, like a WordPress developer just in general, um, or a designer. Um, we're always collecting names. We're always, um, you know, reviewing resumes and, uh, making sure that we know the best in the industry. So that, that's kind of the approach for us, Uh, for other people, you know, I, I think, you know, obviously it takes a long time to build up a network like that. And so we've been doing it for 10 plus years. Um, and that's not only how you um, hire in an agency model like this, but it's also how you uh, sometimes get clients. So, um, you know, it just knowing people always tends to, to kind of pay off, especially when they know what you do uh, and what yeah. you do well. You know, I, I look at, I try to look at everything even, you know, from clients, uh, incoming client proposals, uh, to, or, or just leads, I guess, uh, all the way down to, um, somebody who might be looking for a job as an opportunity. I look at everything as an opportunity because you never know, you never, never know what you're going to get, uh, out of it. And a lot of people look at that as, well, that's just a waste of time. Uh, you know, I, I'm not going to pursue, 
you know, everything. I'm not going to talk to everyone. I try to look at it from the opposite angle is, you know what? I mean, unless somebody came to me and said, Hey, I've only got 500 bucks to spend. (laughs) Uh, maybe, you know, maybe that was a more clear cut, you know, winner, but, uh, uh, I try to look at everything as an opportunity while Absolutely. some people are much more rigid with, I'm not going to waste time with that, that, you know, coffee conversation. I'm not going to waste time with that 20 minute Skype call. Um, do you find yourself in that same, in that same boat and that same thinking? Oh, always. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's an interesting situation to be in because, uh, as a smaller agency, we can sort of afford to explore all types of opportunities. Whereas if you're a larger agency, you don't really have a lot of um, reason to go after a $10,000 job, right? Um, especially if that relationship's going to take years to, to grow and kind of blossom into a bigger, uh, a bigger thing. So I think for um, wherever you are, obviously you're going to have business goals. So if you're a larger agency, you're going to have numbers that you have to hit. Uh, for us, you know, we have numbers that we have to hit to make payroll and, you know, to make money and, and be profitable, which obviously is a huge goal of ours. Um, but at the same time, we can invest a little bit more time into some of these uh, smaller engagements and, and potential relationships where we don't necessarily feel like, hey, this is going to be, you know, our huge banner uh, client. But at the same time, it's something that we're passionate about. And something that we feel like we bring a lot of value to this relationship. And so that's actually one of the reasons why we like being small is because we can, we can kind of afford to invest that way. Um, so that I always find that kind of interesting. Not everybody, you know, a, a lot of people kind of feel like they're off in the weeds uh, when they're investing in relationships like that, where, you know, ah, this isn't really bringing us the value or the, the budget that we need. Uh, we're just wasting time, you know, and, and obviously time is valuable and I get that. Um, but it's not always about that, you know? So I, I feel like there's always value in, in building relationship, no matter what you're really doing ultimately with that, with that relationship. Speaking of wasting time, running a client business, running a product business, <laughs> mm-hmm. how do you, how did you find yourself balancing and how do you continue to still, cause I know you, you had a theme shop and I'll let you sort of, um, you know, talk about that experience and you have other SaaS based businesses as well. So how do you split the time between, well, AMC wants us to bang out a, you know, whatever, uh, a launch page, uh, coming up for the new season on this, you know, uh, this week, how do you balance that between when you invest in product and when you just do the stuff that pays the bills. Right. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a difficult proposition. Anybody that's done client work and and product work, which is a lot of people at this point, I'm sure uh, (laughs) together, um, they, they understand that the clients come first, you know, um, when, when they've got a, a thing that comes up, you drop everything and you say, okay, we'll, we'll jump on that. It's billable time. Uh, you kind of jump over to it. And then when you're done, you know, you're done and you you can hopefully jump back over to product, but then there's always that cycle where they just keep coming back and keep coming back. Um, and so you, you always sort of default to chasing those billable hours. And so at some point you have to eventually say, well, we need to, to basically build some capital here and invest a certain amount of money in actually, uh, developing features or spending it on marketing or whatever that looks like. Uh, for, for the product that you're uh, building. And 
you, you really have to dedicate it and just segment it off and say, listen, this is budget for this product and we have to, we have to do it now. Is that something that we've always done? Well, no, no, I'll be the first right. to tell you, like we, we, uh, you know, we, we tend to go back and forth, you know, there's an ebb and flow. And, um, you know, I spoke to Chris Lemma about this one time and he, he basically drew out this nice little sketch that kind of showed, uh, you know, the, there's like a little hump go, it goes up and it goes down and up and down, uh, with client work where you're, you know, getting paid and then you have time off basically when in between projects and then you're going back to client work, you're getting paid and it's going up and up and then you go back down and kind of ramp, ramp, ramp down a little bit. But with product, it has to be kind of a steady flow of production and also money coming in the bank. And you're kind of reinvesting in that cycle over and over and over in a product development cycle. And when you put those two models together, they clash really hard because of the way that that, that client cycle works. Um, and so that's why it's so difficult to, to actually pull off having products at the same time. So what we ended up kind of doing is, uh, you know, we get a ton of requests from clients that we, we don't necessarily have the ability to help, even though we're a, a small team of seven, um, you know, we can't always help the small uh, mom and pop shops or the churches that come to us and they say, you know, we only have 500 bucks or a thousand bucks. We can't always help them. But the way that we built out FaithMade, our, our, uh, one of our uh, product businesses, um, that actually is now kind of mitigated a little bit where we have a pre-built platform that all we really have to do is kind of automate a few things to help them get set up. And then we come in and help them actually get launched and it doesn't cost us a whole lot of time. It doesn't cost them a whole lot of money. And so it's kind of a win-win on both sides. Um, we're helping the type of people that we want to be helping, uh, you know, get online and they're seeing value from spending a little bit of money as opposed to doing a completely custom job, uh, which is generally what we do at Lyft. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's kind of finding a balance where it is profitable for us. Um, but there's also not, um, you know, this, this delay where you're like, okay, well we work on the product for six months and then all of a sudden we have to take six months off because we're like, oh man, we ran out of money <laughs> and now we need, we need to, you know, ramp up some client work and, and get that back. So it's always, you know, it's always tricky, but, um, I think if you, if you have clients that are kind of in a similar, um, similar boat where you're like, you know what, like we would be better off building maybe a small product that helps these clients and we can license it to them rather than doing a custom thing every single time. Uh, I think that's a good opportunity if you're in client services to build something small and kind of float it out there to existing clients rather than having to build a whole marketing funnel and, um, you know, go out and, and kind of create a, a whole new business on top of uh, all the things you're already doing, which you're too busy for. Talk to me about the uh, pitch process and understanding the sales process uh, from today's market. I've seen a lot of folks, uh, because tools are getting easier and you know accessi accessibility of, of all these WordPress themes and plugins are just getting easier in general for the client, plus all of these other like third-party services that are out there, you know, lead pages, unbounce, all these tools that can really do it together. Uh, put it together. I've seen uh, the proposal process just get a lot simpler. Like clients just come to us and say, you know what, here's what we want. Give us a price. There's no more sort of song and dance coming and pitch to me anymore. 
you know, I've, I've actually seen the clients trend towards not wanting so much uh, uh, dog and pony show with their work. Do you still see that yourself? Is that something that maybe you're seeing at your level or, or not? I mean, what, what's your feedback sort of on that take? You know, I think, I think there are a lot of uh, organizations moving away from a super complicated spec process up front to a more user-focused design process that then kind of, on the back end, you sort of formulate all the business side of it a little bit. Um, I think people are starting to realize that if it's not easy for the user, then all of those rules and, and specs that you create don't really matter. Uh, and I think, you know, if, if you're doing it right, you're identifying a problem that, peop- that real people have and then you're actually trying to figure out a, a, a way to address that problem in a way that is financially viable for you to, to make money and grow your business. And so we get a lot of people in that, um, you know, they, they know their business inside and out. But when it comes to the technology and the design side, they just they don't know what they're doing from that perspective. And so they come to us and they bring all these, um, you know, a lot of times it's a lot of documents that just kind of outline things. And we really try to like simplify everything down to, uh, just some simple ideas and make sure that it's all easy to understand. Because if we don't understand, uh, the problem, if we don't understand your users, if we don't understand, uh, kind of where your vision is for all that, then it's going to be really difficult for us to, um, you know, to kind of put all that together in a way that makes sense for a user. Um, a, a lot of times we just get caught up in the jargon, right? Um, we get caught up, we get caught up over, uh, we, it has to be, a, a, you know, it has to be available on Android. It has to be available on iOS and you have to do this and that. And nowadays it's, you know, there, there's something uh, beautiful about just building one single app that is, you know, web-based that you don't have 60 different places that you have to submit it to. And so I think you you start to see uh, companies move away from having to support all these different apps. Like Patagonia is a perfect example. Um, they got rid of their iOS and Android app and they basically just have a web app now uh, for their, basically for their online uh, presence. And I love that. Like, I love that they're basically saying, listen, just because, you know, all these other people have iOS and Android apps doesn't mean we have to do it. And so I love seeing companies kind of buck the trends because I feel like we've, we're, we've gotten to app overload. Like we've gotten to a place where it's like, there's just so much going on that people are just like, you know what, like this is costing us too much. And it's kind of like the, the shift to open source, right? You know, you've had all these proprietary systems that people would pay literally millions of dollars for, and then they switch to WordPress, right? And then with WordPress, they're like, they're like, there's no licensing fees. There's no, like, all you have to do is host it somewhere for, you know, 20 bucks a month or hundred bucks a month, whatever it is. Uh, and they're blown away. Like they're absolutely blown away. Um, you know, and once you get past the whole, oh, you know, WordPress can't do enterprise thing. Um, and organizations get on board with that. It's amazing to see them just kind of feel that freedom of being away from all this complicated, disgusting, you know, proprietary world. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but we had a conversation quite some time ago, and I I think that you might not be the ultimate champion for 
value-based pricing, or at least in the way that it's sort of pitched in the self-help category, if I could put it into that category. Uh, but to unpack the whole sort of pricing uh, mechanism that you use or schematic that you use for your customers, is it sort of this, is, is it value-based project fees? Is it a hybrid of hourly and project? Or you quote a project, and if you go over 20 hours, you just bill the customer 20 hours. Uh, help us understand how you unpack that or how you deliver that to your client uh, with the projects that you're taking on. Sure. I think, so you got to be very careful like when you're talking about this type of stuff because when you, when you offer advice to people, a lot of times they will immediately think, okay, you are the expert and you're saying what I'm doing is absolutely wrong and I need to change it. And, and so what you end up having is you have a lot of... Um, you know, younger entrepreneurs, younger meaning uh, just fresher. And they come in and they, and they listen to a podcast and somebody tells them, listen, the way that you're doing this is wrong. And they just immediately assume that I need to change. I need to change everything that I'm doing with my business and, and switch to this other method that sounds really cool. Um, and you, you just have to understand that everybody's business model is a little different. Everybody, everybody's personality is a little different. So what may work well for a value pricing guy on a podcast may not work well for you who, um, who really does a good job of finding the value for a client, but you still bill hourly or you have a small team where the best way to engage with a client is to figure out their needs, uh, put together an engagement, have them sign on the dotted line and get to work. Don't worry about all the, you know, all the, well, how do we measure value? How do we measure our price based on that? Like, don't worry about all that stuff. Worry about what you're actually doing for that client to provide value. So there's always an element of value. If you're not providing it, you're going to get fired or you're not going to get hired in the first place. Um, how you bill, that can be up to you. Like, figure out what works. I'm not here to tell you, listen, go this way or go that way. I'm here to say that everybody's different and what works for 10 up, for example, may not work for, uh, you know, a, like focus lab, who is a branding uh, and design uh, company. So I, I think that it's just dangerous to get into an area where you're telling everybody to do the same thing that you're doing because, you know, you've tried all the other things and they didn't work, but this works for you. That may not be the case for somebody else. There's a lot of good stuff there, and I think from the uh, you know the the beginner that's out there you know selling websites and getting better at it, you know you're in it for six months a year, you could really start to systemize those processes and sort of package it up and turn it into one of those you know productized services that everybody talks about. And you know, for instance, if you started selling web services with maybe Mailchimp integration, newsletter integration, that kind of thing for 3000 bucks, and you get really good at that sort of price point, then you become just so much more profitable at that price point. So what took you, you know, in the beginning 30 hours to develop for $3,000, you get so good or you get a process in place that's so sharp, it's now only taking you maybe 15 hours. So you're, you're just uh, increasing that profit margin so much more, which is, which is great for, of course, a business owner. 
and still a uh, a value to the customer, right? Some people get a little sort of jumpy. We're like, oh man, I you know I'm 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 150 percent more profitable now. Maybe maybe I should tell my client about that. Right? This is so this is not the case, right? Be as profitable as you can, especially for the downturns uh, of your selling season and selling cycles. Uh, very important, and it's also to say that if you do sort of bucket yourself into a productized service, again, using that, let's say, $3,000 example, and you turn to some kind of like uh, mid-level company or even an enterprise type of company, maybe you're working with a marketing department, and all of a sudden you pitch them uh, your $3,000 service, they're going to look at you and say, well, listen, no, what, 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 are, what, what are we here, amateur hour? Uh, $3,000 is, is, is chump change. Uh, for what we normally spend, right? They might they might spend a hundred thousand dollars, thirty thousand uh, dollars, and all of a sudden you've sort of positioned yourself as maybe somebody who's too entry level. Although you would be just as capable of doing that job, you have to uh, be wary of that thing, of those situations. Uh, of course, we're talking about Beaver Builder in this story arc. Uh, Beaver Builder or any kind of plugin tools that help you sort of sharpen this process are great for your businesses. Tell me how you got involved with Beaver Builder and the different types of projects you've rolled out with it, uh, themes, um, other sort of platforms and SaaS businesses, and, and even some of the stuff that you've done with other larger hosting companies with uh, their implementations of Beaver Builder. Take us that, down that path. How did you get involved with it, and uh, how has it been for you as, a, as the company and as the experience? Sure. So I think we found it, um, man year and a half or, or two years ago. Um, I, I'm sure we heard about it from Chris Lemma or you know somebody tweeted uh, an article on it and we were we were intrigued. I think the the big thing that was intriguing was that it was uh, not paired in inside of a theme, right It wasn't tied to you know X theme or Divi or whatever um, you know multi-purpose, all-in-one theme is popular and so that that was really interesting to me and I always kind of um, temper my expectations for a page builder plugin or or theme because I know as a as a former uh, front-end developer I know that the markup is going to be disgusting the CSS is probably going to be disgusting it's all going to be in line, you know, it's going to look really terrible. There's going to be 6,000 divs inside of there somewhere. And so I, you know, I did my typical review where I go into the plugin and start building pages with it and start looking at the markup. And I looked at it and I was like, man, this doesn't feel like a divvy or, you know, like one of those uh, massive complex, um, you know, uh, themes that does this. So I started just trying it out um, on personal projects and, and different things here and there. And I was really, really impressed with it. And, and especially impressed with how easy it was to incorporate it within a theme. All I had to do was basically add in a, um, a, you know, a full width uh, page template and then start dragging and dropping things into the page. And it wasn't slow. It didn't take forever. It was all visual. Um, you know, easy for me to understand and customize as well. Being a developer and a designer, you know, you want to have some level of control without, you know, kind of shoehorning, uh, so to speak, uh, your code and your your CSS in there. And, you know, they offer places to, to, 
put your CSS and your JavaScript, they get loaded the appropriate way. Um, and I started thinking, man, this is, this is like production ready, you know, in terms of our clients, like it's production ready. Um, we should start trying this on some projects. So I can't remember exactly which one we started with, but we started using it on, on some projects and obviously it's not for everyone. It's not for every custom build. Um, but for the most part, we, we started using it and we cut down our, our build times almost instantly because it's basically a, a design tool, a wireframing tool, uh, and, and then the development as well. So you're, you're basically doing all of those things all at once if you, if you essentially skip your typical uh, design phase, which we were doing in some cases, especially on, on projects where the budget was a little tight. Um, and, and it essentially passed with flying colors. And so that's when we started uh, putting it into um, FaithMade. Uh, so we we decided, you know what, like this this would be great for this product. We um, we launched FaithMade with Beaver Builder in it, um, and and we probably wouldn't have launched the product without knowing that that Beaver Builder was the right solution. Um, and so we launched it, and you know people were were making sites, and it was super easy to use. And we were like, man, this is this is amazing. Um, and so now, I mean, to this day, we still have it in there, uh, and and it's just been a complete joy to work with. We even have our like our marketing site. We we use uh, Beaver Builder on the actual marketing site. We don't do custom, you know, front end code and all that stuff, uh, even for the faithmade.com homepage. So it's it's been interesting because. You know, I usually just wait for for something like that, like a page builder, to uh, to completely fail us and break down. But it's passed with flying colors, like I said. I'm curious about how you position page builders when you're pitching to clients, uh, and if you sort of position them as an option, right? So, hey, look, we we can build you this theme. It's going to be super customized, which means it'll be pixel perfect, exactly to spec. Uh, but these sort of big design elements, these big call to actions, that kind of thing, they won't be uh, movable objects, right? You can't move them around the page. You're not going to be able to build out a page like a, like a traditional page builder. And then the inverse, you tell the customer about using a page builder. They get all sort of pumped up about it. And then six months from now, their marketing team comes back and they say, hey, we need this pixel perfect page. Um, but you can't because... On that particular page, you use Beaver Builder or any page builder for that matter, and you just with the structure, you just can't get 100% pixel perfect. How do you position that as a client? Do you give them an option? Do you charge more, charge less? What does that look like? I, I think there's a couple factors that go into that. I think if the if the project uh, comes to us and there's a budget constraint up front um, on a design phase, so let's say there's maybe not enough budget to do a full design phase, or there's not enough budget to do a full development phase, um, or both combined. Uh, a lot of times what we'll do is we'll just say, listen, let's, you know, let's kind of skip all of that and go straight to the end, right? Like let's, let's skip the, the mock-ups and let's skip all the, um, you know, prototypes and all that stuff. And we'll just kind of skip to the end and we'll see if we can build something with Beaver Builder that kind of fits where, where we want to be. And we don't promise pixel perfect designs anymore. We we're pa we're kind of past that phase of, well, the client wants it pixel perfect. So that's what we'll do. We'll try to shift everything so that they just see it like, Oh, put it one pixel over. Um, because the, the web is fluid. There's no, uh, there's no way to make it pixel perfect on all browsers all the time and all sizes and everything like that. So, 
we, we try to destroy that expectation up front. And if there's a client that just won't have it, they probably aren't a client that we will work with. So, yeah, so, so we try to ensure that everything that we do revolves around the idea that the web is fluid um, and that, that pages can be different from browser to browser. And so that's great with, with Beaver Builder because, um, you know, obviously uh, they've got the ability to uh, basically hide modules on mobile, hide modules on desktop, uh, so you can show completely different content if you want. Um, you know, obviously they're all responsive kind of out of the box. And so you're, you're kind of constructing a page with modules that already have predetermined constraints and dimensions and they adapt kind of automatically. And so as you're designing with Beaver Builder, it's actually kind of genius, right? Like I don't have to go into my sketch or my Photoshop and create a mobile version and, uh, a, you know, a, um, desktop version and all these different uh, layouts that show, well, here's what it would look like if you bump it up a hundred pixels in width, you know, cause I, I feel like that's such a waste of time, right? Like I, I just want to know what it looks like when I go to it on my phone and when I go to it on my computer and you know, like you're, you're wasting so much time doing that. So when we can, we try to get out of that, that mentality. Um, and obviously like you, you get a little bit more of the creativity when you're able to jump into to something like sketch. So when that's required, we absolutely love doing that because it, it is helpful to be able to just shoot ideas out there and just say, you know, this is a concept that's just wild. Like you can't do this with Beaver Builder very easily. Um, but at the same time, that's kind of a rare occasion nowadays. Uh, that you can't do something with it. One area uh, of the future of WordPress that really fascinates me is this idea of uh, WordPress flavors, right? Certain verticals, certain siloed experiences of WordPress. Um, you know, through through your work with Beaver Builder and building themes uh, for folks like GoDaddy for their sort of onboarding experience and their own flavor of how they want their customers to experience WordPress. We see things like Rainmaker platform, how they experience it now, StudioPress sites, and then of course you have FaithMade, which is an experience onto its own, all for uh, sort of the uh, the faith market of of websites. So, you know, do you look at this as the future of, of WordPress, as web hosts being sort of the big sort of target for something like this to create their own experiences for their particular uh, customer avatar? What does that look like to you? What do you think about the flavors of WordPress for the future of uh, how we experience all this stuff? You know, I think there are kind of two approaches here. One is if you're already an existing company, and you're trying to build a product that serves an existing user base, right? Like a GoDaddy. Um, and, and you're trying to kind of capture more revenue and more, uh, more customers. And then there's also the, um, the more niche uh, providers who are saying, I see an opportunity that's being underserved or, or not served at all, uh, seeing kind of a market there. And so that, that's where we are. Uh, with FaithMade was we saw a market that was underserved and we decided, you know what, let's go after it. Um, but I think from each side, what ends up happening is they all kind of merge together at some point, right? Where they all do essentially the same thing because they're all on WordPress. Uh, they all use WordPress themes, you know, to a certain extent. For the most part, they're all kind of using the same plugins. I mean, 
You've got them using uh, Beaver Builder. You've got them using Ninja Forms. Um, you know, other other plugins that are maybe freemium um, that that are perfect because it's the perfect entry point, right? Where you have this mix of, well, I mean, it's a free plugin, but then also if, if they are wanting to become a power user of, of that particular plugin, they can just upgrade. Um, and so you, you kind of have that, uh, like every, everybody's kind of merging together <laughs> in, in the platforms that they use. So they're all using similar software that's all open source, but they're just kind of tweaking it, right? They're just tweaking it a little bit. For us, it's tweaked more towards churches. Uh, we've got sermons and events and, uh, you know, staff and all that stuff and, and podcasting for, you know, for your sermons every week. And then GoDaddy, they've, they've actually done, um, you know, more small business, right? So they're, they're tailoring it to a small business audience and saying, Hey, you can build your business here. It's, you know, inexpensive, it's powerful. It does everything that you need. Um, and then you've got other ones out there that are for restaurants and, uh, you know, things like that. And so I, I think it's really awesome because there are so many bad websites out there right now, still to this day, like you go out and, and, and check out, uh, your local chiropractor's website and it's horrible, right? Like it's the worst thing ever. And so there's such a huge opportunity. That's why there are so many companies that are, that are identifying that and they're saying, you know what, like recurring revenue is great. Monthly recurring revenue is, is even better. And so they're like, if we can host it, why, why aren't we, you know, that's a studio press sites. Perfect example. Um, you know, they're, they're seeing maybe, maybe theme sales is not the best way to approach this. Maybe just give them the all in one package. They're paying for it anyway. Uh, and so I think that when you can, when you can find that and, and serve a target audience really well by being kind of their all in one provider, I think that's great. Um, where that's going to become a problem is, like I said, it's all kind of feels like it's merging together. Like it feels like everybody's doing the same thing. Uh, just a different set of themes, right? Um, and so that's where I see it being a problem. And, and you really have to differentiate and you really have to go out and fight for those customers. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, I think it's it's kind of forming a whole new ecosystem of hosting uh, where kind of WordPress is going to start dominating, right? Like, I mean, it's already dominating, but it's going to dominate even further because not only, you know, before people were looking at, people were looking at, well, you know, I, I, I either want to do uh, Squarespace or I want to do Wix or I want to do this and that, or I want to do WordPress, right? Now it's going to be, they're not saying WordPress necessarily. Maybe the, maybe the brand that they know that, that builds really great uh, or has a really great hosting platform that, you, that you know, under, under the hood uses WordPress. Maybe they're saying, oh, I really want a StudioPress sites uh, site. And so, you know, they're just going to start to see and recognize those brands in the future and they're all going to be powered by WordPress at some level, right? Um, because that's one of the easiest ways and most recognizable uh, CMSs out there. And so it's just going to kind of hopefully uh, just make it a bigger market, ideally. We hinted about this a little bit earlier in the episode. And something I've, I've been fascinated with is the, the accessibility of these tools, the ease of these tools. Do you think that they're going to start to sort of take away from that entry-level uh, WordPress client that might be coming into the market, and that you know that is to say that you know customer X Y Z they want to hire somebody, but then all of a sudden they see Divi or they see Beaver Builder, and they decide that they're just going to go it alone. They're not going to hire that person who may have charged them five hundred bucks, a thousand bucks, something like that. Um, and that slowly uh, takes away from that lower end of the market. What are your thoughts on on that happening? 
uh, and this domino effect? I don't think so. I think that there's there's two types of people. There's the the person that is comfortable with the DIY approach and has time and can learn it. And then there's the person that just wants it done, right? And this is something back from my days at, at Network Solutions that, that that was basically the two approaches that we offered was, um, you know, I, I come to you, give you money, you do it for me. <laughs> and then the other <laughs> approach is I come to you and I get a template and I populate it myself, right? And, and usually those sites were, I mean, back then, I mean, they were just like super inexpensive, um, mm. you know, kind of like a GoDaddy, like basic hosting account now where it's six bucks, eight bucks, whatever. Um, and so there's always going to be those two audiences. And then there's obviously like your, your large enterprise or, or just medium sized business that they understand the value of design. They understand, uh, hiring somebody else to do, um, what they do best and they value that quality, Right. So yeah, there's always, I think there's always going to be the DIYers and there's always going to be the, I want to go find somebody that's experienced with this type of stuff. For sure. Yeah, definitely. There's going to be uh, still a need for those consultants. You're going to need to sort of have somebody that ties in all of the, the, the complete package, right? Again, we hinted that about this earlier in the episode. We talked about sort of that productized service where you're not just building a website, but you're building all the marketing, SEO, content, lead generation, community. All of that stuff still needs to be um, covered by a, a consultant or should be cons- covered by a consultant if the company can't do it. So there'll definitely be a need uh, for that sort of moving forward. And these tools, again, as easy as they are, should businesses be running these uh, on their own and managing them on their own? Well, I guess if they have the talent in-house, but most of the time they don't, most of the mm-hmm. time they should be just focusing in on what they do best, which is whatever their products or services might be. Look, you're a hybrid agency. You're you're like me. You do absolutely. Uh, you know, you got client services as your primary tool. You had you had products where you were selling sort of themes, um, and you have hosted solutions now. You have job boards. Give me the 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 inside scoop of what's next for Lyft. Where are you guys looking to uh, for the future of the company? Yeah. So. We, we always we always kind of dabble in other things, right? So we are super interested in kind of the future of of how we work, how people interact in, inside of a business, um, where where business is going on on the whole. Uh, and so one of the things that we're working on is um, trying to connect uh, remote employers with uh, remote job seekers. So we've been working on a, a product called remotejobs.com. Um, that has been around for almost a year now. We've seen a lot of growth actually in the past year. Uh, we, when we launched it, we brought on a bunch of uh, uh, initial sponsors that have been awesome um, and have kind of partnered with us and have posted a, a ton of jobs. And we've actually seen really good results uh, so far. We, we asked... Um, uh, a few of the partners, you know, if they had found anybody from, uh, their job listings. And one of them said, they were like, yeah, you know, honestly, we didn't post our job anywhere else. And we, we got some really good people and ended up hiring one. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited about that. That's actually something that if like, if we can't, if Lyft UX can't hire you remotely, I, I would love for one of our friends to, to be able to do that. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know what no, I mean? Awesome. 
So yeah. it's, it's something we're, we're obviously we're passionate about. We can't hire everybody. We're, you know, small team. We're not growing at a pace where we're, you know, bringing on 10 people a month or 20 people a month where we can just say, yeah, let's just bring them all with us. Um, I would love to do that, but unfortunately I can't. So, uh, we, we thought that that would be a really great way, uh, to kind of help, you know, other people kind of get involved with, uh, the remote work lifestyle, so to speak. Um, because we feel like that's the way forward, uh, in the future, uh, ideally you wouldn't have, you know, all these offices everywhere that people are being forced to, to go to. Like I, if I want to work from Hawaii, you know, on the beach or something, and I'm able to do that, that'd be amazing. Right. Yeah, um, absolutely. and, and I don't see, this is something that Matt Mullenweg, uh, mentioned, uh, I think on a, a podcast or an interview at one point. He said, um, we don't discriminate uh, based on location. And I was like, that's a really interesting way to look at it, right? Like, how, how could you, when you really think about it, how are you going to find the best person for the job if you limit it to a 45-mile radius around Houston? Like, that doesn't make sense, right? <laughs> so It's awesome stuff, man. I really appreciate this, uh, this interview. His name is Chris Wallace. It's not Chris Wallace from Fox News, although sometimes during the election you can't <laughs> be confused by it. Runs an agency called Lyft. Chris, where can folks find you on the web to say thank? Uh, so I am on Twitter at Chris Wallace, uh, not the Chris Wallace from Fox News. He does not have a Twitter <laughs> handle. Uh, but you can always find uh, the Lift UX folks at uh, LiftUX on Twitter uh, or LiftUX.com. This has been Season 5, Episode 3. Hope you really got something out of this one. Chris is a great guy. Uh, lots oh, of man. nuggets of wisdom and how to run an agency in today's yep. world. A hybrid agency, as I like to call them. Uh, where Again, you're doing services, products. You've got these uh, other software ideas and, and bigger ideas for the market, not just the client services stuff. Amazing, amazing interview. Thanks, Chris, for taking the time. MattReport.com slash subscribe. Join the mailing list. Hope you're enjoying season five. See you in the next episode. That was another episode of The Matt Report. I hope you learned something. I hope you got something out of it. It means a lot when somebody actually learns something from the conversations that I have here. Either personal gains or business gains, whatever it might be. Just learning your way in the crazy world of WordPress. That's why I do it. I couldn't do it without my audience. I couldn't do it without my sponsors as well. So please go ahead and thank the sponsors. Use the services uh, that I've mentioned in these episodes. I really vet them and make sure that they're only putting out good products with great support and they really care about the WordPress community. That's why I've chosen them. So it means a lot if you go ahead on Twitter and tell them that you heard them on the Matt Report podcast. As always, mattreport.com slash subscribe to join the mailing list. It's the number one way to stay connected. I send private videos there to my newsletter. It's really becoming much more than just a boring old newsletter. So I hope I can see you over there. And the best thing that you can do for the show is head on over to iTunes, search for WordPress podcast, leave me a five-star review. If you enjoy the episode, I'd really appreciate it. We'll see you in the next episode.